This is very interesting, what Kevin, our social media director, just said, shared with us. First Gen Z congressman-elect said he was denied a D.C. apartment over bad credit. The congressman-elect, to become the first member of Generation Z to serve in Congress, said Thursday his rental application for an apartment in Washington, D.C. was denied because of his really bad credit. Now, here's the kicker. Just applied to an apartment in D.C. where I told the guy, my credit is really bad, man. He said, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Just got denied and lost his application fee. Entitlement. I mean, out of touch. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it works. If you're trying to lease a place, you know, you got to have decent credit. Yes. Uh, whether it's uh, renting from someone who owns the home or you're renting from a condo or an apartment complex, they want to know that you can actually pay your bills on time. I mean, look, I get it. Gen Z, millennials, you know, you're paying for your college loans. I get how people can fall behind. They rack up credit card debt. That's no different than most Americans, generally speaking, Armstrong. But it is a bit entitled for him to, to be presumptuous to assume that, okay, this guy told me I'm going to be fine, and then once he actually saw, oh, wait a minute here, we cannot take the liability or the risk we're renting to this person, we got to deny the application for him to have just assumed that he should have gotten it just because is a bit absurd to me. But I'll tell you a small secret. As a landlord in the city, I enjoy renting to members of Congress and congressional staffers. Why? Because in their contract, they cannot be delinquent on their rent. They must so you pay reach out to him on time. No, 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 no. I don't think, listen, my only point is he would have gotten his money no, bad, no matter how bad his credit was. There's, it, would be, it would be an ethical violation. Social, well, so maybe, he, maybe he didn't know that, nor did the landlord right, that clearly. he attempted to rent from. But let's check back two years from now, and he may just own the building. Yeah, yeah. Well, that might be true. Aaron Manego, um, the, um, the world leaders from Africa are here. Um, they were here in 2014 uh, when Barack Obama was president, and they left angry, disappointed. What was gained as a result of them being here in 2014, following, let's say, eight years later, and what do they expect moving forward? Well, 2014, uh, what was gained, I, I, I think people are still scratching their heads uh, trying to, to ascertain exactly what was gained, what was the rhyme and reason uh, behind uh, uh, that, that meeting. On its face, it was great uh, for the first African-American president who has clear African roots through his, through his father in Kenya, would call this uh, a U.S. President Africa Leaders Summit here in the United <clears throat> States with all of the pageantry that that would entail uh, to meet with these leaders to discuss things from civil society, private sector, uh, to creating uh, uh, new, new ventures of, uh, of economic gain uh, both ways. Fast forward now with this summit that has been called by, by Joe Biden, I think people are still scratching their heads trying to ascertain and understand what this is all about. What is the actual agenda being set here by this administration? Because clearly we don't have a new U.S. policy towards Africa. You know, what is interesting is what the White House stipulated that the agenda would be. It would only talk about Africa, not about China, and not about Russia. But how can you have a conversation <laughs> When you don't talk about how China is looting, stealing, 
robbing, colonializing, disrespecting all their members, arming people in Rwanda to fight the people in the Republic of Congo. Congo. There are so many wars and so many conflicts going on in Africa. It's like World War III is going on, but nobody reports it. It's undercover. Why? It's underreported. Why? No, it is, it is totally insane. It is, say, it's like having a discussion of Hamlet without the Prince of Denmark. Okay? Wait a minute. China's everywhere. If you're in Africa, you can't miss it, you know? They buy up everything, man. They buy up everything. And, and pretend that it's not there? I mean, there's the elephant in the living room staring at you and say, well, let's pretend it's not there. So the whole idea is silly. I know that many of the African countries want to walk away from the Chinese uh, envelopment, if you will, giving loans at very high interest rates, and then they're now deeply indebted. They bring in their own workers there, so they don't even leave, you know, they don't bring much actual uh, employment uh, to these countries. They're looking for the United States to encourage investment, become more engaged, perhaps look at the Africa Growth and Development Act to see whether it could be strengthened, um, have uh, free trade agreements, things of that sort. Uh, and the Biden administration, in my judgment, it just flails around. I agree, this is pageantry. It's, 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 it's without any kind of theme. It reminds me a little bit, about a year ago, Biden had a democracy summit. Nobody even knows what it was for. Okay, you got an invitation? Well, what happened? Nothing. All it was was optics. And then, okay, well, we're concerned, and now we have an event for the next couple days, and he's on TV. But I think this shows the intellectual bankruptcy of the Biden administration. We see regularly coups every three weeks now in West Africa, Burkina Faso, in Mali, in, uh, in Guinea, uh, in, 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 in Senegal. All this is happening in the administration, you know, even in places where there's clearly a coup, like in Tunisia <laughs> or Egypt, they say it wasn't a coup because we still want to give the money to the tyrant there. <laughs> you know? And those things got to change. If we're trying to encourage a flowering of democracy, they have to be serious about, about holding countries accountable if they clearly jump into a, a military coup or tyrannical rule. Uh, and as far as we're concerned, no, it doesn't really matter. We can sell you weapons, and as long as you get along with Israel, do whatever else you want. Uh, that's not a policy. And I do think that it's an insult to Africa. And, uh, and, it, and I, I believe that the African leaders after the summit will go away very, very disappointed. I think that the leadership is going to happen. It's got to have to come from Congress. And they may well, because they're more exercised about the congressional, I mean, the Chinese takeover of, of Africa than the executive branch. You know, yeah. you know what's interesting? Um, a little an unknown fact about Victor Bout that was traded for Brittany Grana. He was the biggest arms dealer in Africa, yeah. arming them. Mm -hmm. When many of these African, when any sovereigns heard that they were releasing, yeah. I think the merchant of death is overblown. Yeah. But he has done more to devastate the continent of Africa, and no regard for their input whether or not that trade should be that trade should be made, and at what price? Which is why the administration is saying you cannot ask about Russia. You yeah. cannot ask about China, and it is unfortunate because I think from 
an economic perspective, there is a, a huge amount of opportunity, as you two gentlemen know very well, in Africa for American investors, for American enterprise there. I would also venture to say, Aaron, that militarily, it gives us great opportunity and proximity to a lot of parts of the world Absolutely. that we need to be at. I mean, Bruce, you always cite this quote uh, where I think it's a, whatever African military legion is in Germany yeah. and yeah. not in a country on the continent. Yeah. Which Africa. Right, Africa, Africa, which just does not make any sense yeah. to me. Yeah. It's equivalent it, it's, of having NATO in uh, in Lagos, Nigeria. It's, it's, yeah. Elsewhere, right. It, it, it doesn't make <clears> sense. I, I think the United States should get serious about this. Clearly, the Chinese recognize the potential opportunity. I think the U.S. should lead that charge. There is an incredible opportunity for us to help figure out ways to make Africa more democratized across the continent. I think many of the, the civilians and natives there are looking for freedom. I think they're looking for opportunity. Mm -hmm. And would not having the United States there to lead the charge also would encourage growth economic opportunity. And I think the U.S. loves capitalism more than any other country, I would argue. Why not see the real long-term development in Africa and lead it? If we don't step in and forthrightly engage mm -hmm. with Africa, we are absolutely going to lose the second part of the 21st century. Because this is now, we had the technological age. This mm -hmm. next phase is going to be the fight for natural resources. Mm -hmm. Hard commodities, soft commodities, and there's no place in the world with more of an abundance of both hard and soft commodities than Africa. We have to create a new policy towards Africa. One that, that really puts a, a framework in place that says, we're going to create two-way marketing. We're going to have a, a, a bilateral or regional agreements uh, uh, with, with these countries. And we're going to start truly uh, 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 treating these African nations and, and, and speaking with them as true sovereign nations. But, but I, I think, I think uh, to that point, Aaron, just like Nixon did with, China, with the Chinese in the 60s, I think we need now with some of these African countries. When you look at the age of, of nanotechnology, where we're going with chips, where all the cars are going to be electric in the next 10 to 50, where do you get the minerals for this stuff? Africa. <clears throat> Africa, Armstrong. So why not, to Aaron's point, have the type of policy, trade, or whatever the case may be, regional if you want to do it that way, where, where we're saying <clears throat> we're investing long term in unilateral relationships and partnerships with various countries across yeah. the continent. I tell you this last point, when you look at the precipitous rise of the Chinese economy over the past 10, 15 years, growing by leaps and bounds, you can almost mark it to the date when they made their real formal encroachment into Africa. Being able to back their currency, which was in flux, and no one had any confidence in, in, their, in, their, in their dollar, no, no one had confidence in it until they started being able to back it with gold and silver that's when the chinese economy took off and now when you look at that russia and the BRICS nations making moves towards that end to move the world off the petrodollar russia's saying that it's going to back uh, its its oil and other purchases uh with gold china doing the same thing india playing into that there there's a there's a serious question here here's here's what i like to put on the table um, as we go into the break, former President Trump would call Africa a poop hole. I won't use the exact language he used, <laughs> but you get it. With the exception 
of Nigeria, it's the only place really on the continent that has a judiciary, rules of law, judges, courts. Um, most of Africa has no infrastructure. I would put South Africa in that. Line I'm going to well. respond to it. I'm just setting this up. Uh, and um, Cyril Ramaphosa may lose this week to uh, the former wife of President Zuma. She may become the first woman president in South Africa. All the leaves, all the tea leaves are leaning that way. But still, no infrastructure. They still like the Chinese. And they can be bought and sold by the Chinese at the highest bidder. They engage in arms trade. They engage in terrorism. And Boko Haram and the Muslim extremists have taken over Africa. Nobody talks about the impact that the Muslim extremists are having on the culture and the values of Africa. Now, we talk here and we praise the motherland, and I've been to the motherland, but let me tell you something. While we talk about what the White House and others can do, the motherland needs to take a serious look in the mirror and do better. The motherland or the corrupt land. I was thinking about Keith Richburg, who was once a star reporter for the Washington Post, and he went over to write a book about the motherland. And he concluded that I never thought in a million years I would write this. I am so thankful that my ancestors came here in slavery. So I now have to live in the kind of corruption, the chaos, the lack of infrastructure on the continent of Africa. Yes, that's exactly what he did right. And he spent many years covering uh, Africa, Somalia, with all the uh, upheavals. Uh, in the, the civil war, so it's continue as this very day. Mm -hmm. I mean, Somalia's been a non-country for like 30 years. Unfortunately, it's not uh, unique on that score. Ethiopia, all yeah. these other countries. And I think you are right, um, Armstrong, in saying they need to look in the mirror. There's one thing that you find common amongst all the, uh, the African countries, is that there's no separation of powers. In every single country, it's the executive branch and nothing else even matters. They're all wallpaper there. And so the, 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 the temptation to rape the country is overwhelming because there's no accountability. The judges rubber stamp whatever the government does. The parliament is all on the payroll. They, there's no oversight. Um, and the media and, is almost non-existent. Yeah, the media, the, there's no independent media. You pay reporters, you know, and then they'll write a story for you. Uh, and that's something that they have voluntarily embraced. They can all rewrite their constitutions. I've tried to get some of them to rewrite constitutions without success. Uh, but they've all resisted it because, as you point out, this, the, the gains from the status quo is so great. The money that's involved here, the monopolies you get, uh, are so great that they resist any kind of change. Uh, and the result is the mass of people are suffering horribly. And that's why you find these rotating governments, you know, time in and time out. Okay, you're here for a year and then you're gone and then somebody new comes in. Uh, but until you have independent institutions that check each other, I don't see any way forward. It's going to run in a, in a treadmill, the same corrupt system that we've witnessed for many decades. I mean, I don't, I don't foresee that changing again unless you have a country like the United States with a prolonged vested interest. I mean, we would have to send State Department officials over. We'd have to send political scientists over. You would probably have to have, Aaron, a, a military presence there. And I mean, I'm talking, I'm sure, maybe a several decades uh, long 
strategy in some of these countries to really get it to turn around and even then you probably couldn't just leave you probably I mean look at what happened when we went to Afghanistan I mean we had somewhat of a quasi government while our presence was there mm -hmm. and the moment we left it returned back to the normal chaos and so I think we'd have to have that type of long-term willingness to commit to some of those countries if we're going to have the regional partnerships sure. you were mentioning earlier Aaron in order to see success mm -hmm. otherwise I don't think it'll ever happen the the level of dysfunction it, it it's to the advantage of several people that are there taking advantage several countries that are there taking advantage raping the continent of its natural resources do they want to see a united states of africa that's the question that you have to ask yourself i would answer no you don't they don't want to see a united states of africa because then they would have to be held accountable for the actions that are currently taking place there. Give us a sterling example of a democracy, an economy, an infrastructure, a way of life that thrives on the continent. What is the model? Wow, well, I, I think you would, you would have to make a quilt in order to create a model. You, you take a little piece of Ghana, oh, so we a, a, a little piece now. of South Africa, <laughs> a, a, a little piece of, of what's happening now in, in, in Rwanda. I, I don't think there, there's any one country that's, that's demonstrating a, a clear model of, of leading it towards uh, becoming a, a more developed status nation. But I think there's, there's a hodgepodge of examples that, that can be used uh, to, to get a picture of what can be, what is possible. And, and, there, there, and there are some countries there that, that, that are behaving as, as good actors. There, there are some that are behaving are as, as good actors. Mozambique okay. uh, is behaving, uh, as a, I would say, as a, as, as, as a good actor. Rwanda? Rwanda is now uh, uh, acting uh, in the, as, as, a, as a good actor. And for, for good or for bad, what we think about the South Africa, certainly they, they've, they've a stabilized uh, force uh, uh, there uh, on the continent. Ghana, also a very stable, uh, a, a burgeoning and growing democracy uh, there in Ghana. So I, I think it, we've had peaceful transitions of power now in, in Liberia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sierra Leone has also experienced peaceful transitions of power. So you're starting to see more and more of these countries moving uh, uh, towards a, a, a more uh, a democratic framework in, in how it operates. You know, I want to bring this up in the closing of the show. Deion Sanders is one of my favorite cowboys. And he went to Jackson State and put historical black colleges on the map, even though my alma mater beat them pretty bad <laughs> in the MEAC championship, <laughs> South Carolina State. Still, he is a hero, a role model, a goal model of what one can become. All of a sudden, he's going to Colorado to make $5 million a year, and there's anger. They're maligning him. Yeah. There's resentment. What am I, are we not about the American dream? Are we not about success and progress? What am I missing? I'm sure, I don't know what you're missing, but I mean, some people are saying, you know, he, he should have stayed and he should have helped uplift HBCUs and HBCU college programs. And, and, and my argument against that has always been, as an alum of a historically black college, 
what are the alum doing, Aaron? Yeah. Like, like, like it's, it's our responsibility as alum yeah. to give back to our former alma maters so that they can have thriving programs. Mm -hmm. Not one single singular person who happens to be a well-known figure because at some point he may get a better offer. Mm -hmm. And when he leaves, then what are we doing to make sure that the institutions thrive? Is and, he and, leaving? And the, he is leaving. Yeah, but the reality is, and I'll say this really quickly, Armstrong, when you compare uh, giving from PWIs and their mm -hmm. alum to HBCUs, most of the alum at HBCUs rarely give, Aaron. They, they, rarely give. they rarely give. And you have some very successful black people that have graduated from historically black colleges and universities, no. and they rarely give. But yet when you look at the alum from PWIs, some of them will will half of their net worths yeah. to the institutions, yeah. and we will not do the same. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you this, the, the athletic director from, from Colorado uh, said in, in, in open, we actually don't have the money yet <laughs> to pay Deion Sanders the $5 million per year. But I know when we go to our alumni and boosters, mm -hmm. they are going to cough up the necessary resources <laughs> in order to land this type and of high profile. Exactly what I just me, said. Let me ask you this. <laughs> this is only, only black people are relegated to this kind of ignorance and nonsense. He could be Jewish, he could be white, he could be a woman. Nobody, especially black men. This is unadulterated racism. Yeah. Look at all the Think other, about it. Sure about all the football Smile. coaches. It's racism, Eric. They're getting eight, ten million It's a different kind of racism. Yeah. If he were any other color than being prime time, mm -hmm. the reaction would be different. But there this, are some black people who, who agree with his decision we, to leave. We agree. Okay? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Yes, we agree. <laughs> of course. Yeah. There are white football coaches who make way more than the, the most, the top credentialed academic people by orders of magnitude. Here's, Nobody here's, says anything about that. Here's what I have to say. Sure. Terrific discussion today, guys. Um, Deion Sanders, this is what you do. You give, you're given a job. You make the most of that job. Mm -hmm. You put them in prime time. You give them real self-esteem. You bring more money, more students to the university. You've done your job. Ignore these haters. You've earned that money, okay? Ignore it in prime time and go get your, what you've worked for and what you've earned. You know, it's just nonsense. You cannot pay attention to ignorance. Yeah, this agree. is absolutely unadulterated ignorance, the okay? The alum need to do their yes. job, Armstrong, like you did. Yes. And give back to the alma mater. We give a lot of money back. There is no place except what you decide your next stage is in life. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.